This is episode 12 of the Soul of Sensitivity podcast. I'm Anna Holden, a professional intuitive and energy healer. I help highly sensitive people dig into the shadows of their soul to access their gifts, reclaim their purpose, and get intimate with their ultimate truth. I also teach intuitive development and mentor emerging healers through my Sacred Rebellion programs. Each week on the podcast, I explore different aspects of living a soulful, sensitive life. I'll bring you stories of other sensitive, creative pioneers, as well as my own thoughts, teachings, and tools. This is not the beginner's guide to sensitivity, but rather the place for sensitive souls to gather up their courage and pioneer their way into a life of personal freedom and spiritual sovereignty. Your sensitivity is sacred. Are you ready to live that way? Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the podcast. I'm really excited about the conversation that I'm having today with Darla Antwine. But before I get into that, I just have a couple of things to share. I had a lot of positive response to last week's podcast um, with me sharing some of my story and sharing a bit about my intuitive readings. So I'm going to be continuing in that vein and just want to give you a little teaser that next week's podcast will actually be a live reading um, that I'll be giving one of my uh, clients and students. Um, And so something that I've been called to do even more is to be giving readings um, on air and giving kind of mini oracles on Instagram and things like that. So you'll start seeing that on my Instagram at Sensitivity Uncensored. And I want to invite you to submit questions to me. Um, and you know every podcast that is um, me personally I'll pull at random those questions um, a question or two and read the energy of that question receive the download from spirit and share that with all of you so I'm pretty excited about that it's something that I've kind of imagined doing in the past um, but really got some heavy 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 nudges um, this week, <laughs> kind of those nudges that like hit you over the head. Um, so that's when I know it's time to do something. Thank you so much to my newest Patreon supporters, um, Bonnie, Donna, and Sarah. I'm so, so grateful for your donations. You know, when you support the podcast and my writing on Patreon, it shows me that you are enjoying what I'm putting out there and you want to see it continue. I still have some spots available for free reading, so if you jump in and support me on Patreon at any level, you'll get a free 15-minute reading. And I send you a link to schedule that reading as soon as I get to my computer after I see your um your donation and it makes me so excited um know that when you are um submitting a donation to me on patreon behind the scenes i'm like throwing my arms up in the air and pumping my fists i get so so excited today i'm going to be speaking with darla antwine she is a spiritual worker an ancestral activist coach practitioner of the sacred domestic arts, mother and accidental homesteader in the high mountains of Costa Rica. 
Darla helps mixed-raced and mixed-culture seekers discover the medicine, blessings, and power in their ancestral spiritual lineages. She does this by combining her spiritual work with her experience as a mixed-race woman, an expat, and her master's degree in intercultural communication. And I had so, so, so much fun interviewing Darla. Uh, You're going to hear all about her ancestral work. You're going to hear how we connect with our ancestors and why it's important. And you're going to hear us geek out a little bit uh, about fairies at the end of the show, uh, which was kind of spontaneous and really fun. And for um, all of you Patreon supporters at the $2 or above level, uh, Darla is offering her ancestral flame keeping mini course. So that will show up on the Patreon page here shortly. All right, let's jump right in. All right. Hi, Darla. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Anna. Thanks. I'm really happy to be here. Yeah, I'm really, really excited to have this conversation today. So we're going to be kind of digging into the intersection of spirituality and connecting to our roots in order to find our spiritual power. So Darla, I'm, I've been following you on social media and you have this like incredible, beautiful website that's all about connecting food, culture, and ancestors. So Mm -hmm. can you tell us a bit about how you came to be doing this work? Sure. So I grew up in northeastern Washington state, which is also my ancestral, my maternal ancestral homelands. I'm enrolled with the Okanagan Indian Band through my mother's lineage. And my grandmother, my maternal grandmother, was of the generation that was taken into the boarding school system that they had for indigenous peoples in North America. And she was taken into that young and with the whole idea of forcing her to assimilate to the larger American. And well, this was actually in Canada where she went to, where she experienced this. So North American culture, let's call it that. And it very effectively cut her descendants off from the knowledge that her parents had and her grandparents. And growing, however, growing up in my ancestral homelands, I've always had this deep rooted sense of place that I didn't really appreciate until I left home didn't really understand how it made my view of the world maybe a little bit different than others who don't feel so rooted and who, you know, may, may enjoy feeling more nomadic at that too. So not to say that it's better than something, but it's rare for most of us to live, especially in in North America, for most of us to live somewhere where our people have lived for thousands and thousands of years. Right. Mm -hmm. So, however, food was always my way into that, into my lineage there, into what my ancestors knew, because that couldn't very easily be taken away from us. Um, I grew up in the, under the pine trees. I grew up with huckleberries. I grew up with wild strawberries. I grew up with salmon. I grew up with trout, those sorts of things, which I know my ancestors also had access to. So while some of the knowledge around those foods was missing, there was less of a gap, so to speak. 
So I went on to study intercultural communication at the University of New Mexico. I got a master's degree there. And I chose food and culture as my thesis subject. So I studied how food creates and sustains our identity and our cultural legacy matrilineally, <laughs> very academic yeah. term. But, and then I realize now in hindsight, now that I've been sort of called to working with the ancestors in a spiritual manner, I realized that all of those fancy academic words are, means ancestral work. Like I, I was doing ancestral work then. I just didn't call it that and recognize it as that. Mm -hmm. I'm so glad that you're doing this work because um, you know, I, I, in one of the podcast episodes, um, one of the early episodes with Janelle Hardy, something that she talked about was us being in this period of great forgetting, mm -hmm. you know, like especially us North American folks who are um, kind of raised unrooted and really disconnected from our ancestors and really um, kind of taught that that's fine. Right. Yes. Like that's what I'm starting to realize is such an issue is that, you know, we're, we're taught in this colonized way that like our past doesn't matter. Like, <laughs> um, and you know, something I've been talking about a lot recently is, is then how that creates this um, like unconscious spiritual bypassing for, you know, a lot of us North Americans is particularly us white people. Um, and so I love that you are doing this work, spiritually speaking, around ancestry and food and how to connect um, to our, our roots. Um, and you say on your website that you really love working with um, uh, people who have mixed race backgrounds or have, you know, various uh, lineages of ancestry. Can you tell us, I mean, I'm guessing that's because of um, some of your history, but can you tell us more about that? Yes, I think, too, that when I talk about wanting to work with, like, mixed cultural people, really that's everyone. Mm. But framing it that way helps, helps the person reading it understand the way I'm approaching our identity. Mm. So, for example, I'm Okanagan. I had a great-grandmother who was Nez Perce. Um, I have Irish and... Swedish and, and ancestors and maybe some other European ancestors a little bit further back, but that's like the general of it. But I, and I identify as American and I live in Costa Rica. <laughs> um, so all of those different culture things, I have ac all those things that are in my blood, I have access to, and they inform the way I am here in Costa Rica. They inform my presence and they inform what I do. And I think what, for the, like, the dominant of, let's just say, white North Americans, th this is what I believe has happened. At first, a couple hundred years ago, um, what am I trying to say here? Like, racism was created to help justify classism. <laughs> and it behooved the rich upperclassmen to get the lower, who were all white, mm -hmm. to get lower class white people on the upper class white 
side. Mm -hmm. So that's when things started becoming divisive by race. Before that, it didn't matter where you were from, you could have been a slave. You could be from Ireland or Scotland or Germany and you could have been a slave. Right. But then in order to hold on to the power, their white rich forefathers created racism. Mm -hmm. And that's one reason why white North Americans today don't understand that they have a rich tapestry of cultural heritage because it behooved them to drop all of that and blend in with the white upperclassmen, right? Mm -hmm. um, for political, social, structural reasons. It was like a, a thing of survival. Not going to say it's right or wrong because I don't <laughs> think it is. It's just, it's just what it was. And we talk about America being a melting pot. And I heard a teacher once explain that she thought we should think of ourselves as less of a melting pot and more of a salad bowl so that we each are our own individual pieces. We come together and make a whole, but we retain our individual boundaries and our individual identity. I'm a tomato and you're a piece of lettuce, you know, sort of thing. All <laughs> just being melted down into a mush that you can't tell one piece from another, right? Yeah. Yeah, I like that. I like that because, you know, I, I never really thought of it that way. But like with the melting pot, I feel like it kind of gives rise to more of this, it, you know, forgetting. It's like, well, I don't know yes. where I start and end. I'm just part of the soup. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And I think that that's where a lot of spiritual bypassing comes from, too, is from this forgetting. Like you, I forget too, like I tend to favor my mother's lineage because it's where I grew up. I grew up in that place. But I'm remembering now through this ancestral work that I have a really rich Celtic heritage that I can draw on. I have a really rich Nordic heritage that I can draw on. And I can get just as much power, just as much strength from those lines as I can from my native line. And I can get a lot more out of those lines than say like Hinduism which I don't have a drop of Indian, that sort of Indian blood in me. You know what I mean? So it would behoove me to remember that and work with that first before going outside of my bloodlines for that sort of spiritual nourishment. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think that, you know, something that is a, I, I mean, I would say that has been um, difficult for, for me is, is kind of feeling like a, um, like a spiritual orphan you know, mm -hmm. like not knowing and, you know, not knowing where I came from, um, not resonating with, um, I grew up in a pretty conservative area. And so I didn't resonate with the religion that other people practiced around me, you know, and feeling kind of like it was my job to try things on and feel, you know, and, and figure out what fit me rather than remembering the lineage uh, and the power that's within my blood. Um, so I'd love for you to talk about a little bit about this ancestral work that you do. And also, um, you mentioned you just come back from a trip where you were taking your ancestral vows, and I would love to hear what that is and, <laughs> and how that affected you. Okay. Um, so yes, first I want to speak to like sort of taste testing different spiritual things. I think that's really important, especially when we're young or when we've been newly spiritually awoken. However, I think it's also really important to like identify what it is about this one thing that's drawing you and see if you can't find that in your own 
mm. ancient indigenous lineages first. Mm. That's mm. really like you will get more out of it. You really will. It might be a little bit harder, but it'll be more worth it. And then if you still really feel like you're drawn to an out, another culture's spiritual path, it's even you can even get more out of that by first being really well with your ancestors and then having your ancestors introduce you to the ancestors of that other line. Like it's more of a formal adoption process versus just taking what you want. Mm. Oh, that's <laughs> sort of beautiful. Thing. Yeah. So not to say that you can't get things out of other cultures. You can, but there is more, a, a more appropriate way to go about it, I guess, for lack of a better word. So this ancestral healing stuff, I'm really excited about it. Um, I am working with a man named Daniel Four, F-O-O-R. His website is ancestralmedicine.org. And he has a book and he has an online course that anyone can teach to learn how to do this for themselves. And then he has, once a year, he offers a six-month practitioner training, which is what I just finished. And that means that you could work with me to... I can help hold the space for you to work with your ancestral lines if you're the kind of person who doesn't have the time or doesn't want to go through the process of learning for yourself or you want to just get a taste of it first before you do that. So what that means is, so whether, and then you can also find other practitioners on that ancestralmedicine.org website, um, or you can come to my website and you can work with me, but you might mm -hmm. want to, you know, look around, see what your flavor is. So what that means is like, we can, I don't know if it's like when you see, when you buy a red car, you start seeing red cars everywhere, but I'm hearing ancestral this and ancestral that all over the place, which I think is really exciting. Just in the last six months since I started doing this ancestral work, I'm, I feel like it's becoming more of a thing to be wanting to connect with your ancestors. But first and foremost, I think we need to remember that our ancestors probably had pretty shitty lives. Um, mm. Some of them did. At, at least some of them did. And when they die, that automatically doesn't go away. Their, their trauma, their pain, and their guilt and shame for things they might have done in their lives. Especially in this more modern era when we're afraid of death and we kind of keep it at arm's length and we die afraid of to die or we die really long drawn out deaths because we feel like we need to medically intervene and avoid death and prolong life as long as possible. So people aren't really dying well. And yeah, just because you're dead doesn't mean you're completely healed. I believe there's like layers to our souls and sure, like one layer of our soul, like maybe you want to call it your higher self or something, is probably just fine and pristine and ready to incarnate again. And maybe it does. And then another layer of our souls just immediately returns to the earth and is composted and given back to the earth. But then there's this third layer that can still hold on to the stories and the trauma. And this is where we get ghosts. Like when you hear ghost stories, I believe that we're interacting with this, this middle layer of our souls. And... In the old ways, for all of our cultures, there would have been specific rites at death that would help that transition and help the soul heal and let go of those stories to prevent the ghosts, to prevent the hauntings. But that hasn't happened for a long time for most of us in our lineages, including my own indigenous lineage. When I checked it out, 
um, in a, spiritually in a, in journey space. It was like a thousand years since they had been properly taken care of in that manner. Um, so what ancestral healing does, the point, what, I, what I'm trying to say is you don't want to just invoke your ancestors willy-nilly because there's a big difference between your well ancestors and the ancestors who are not so well. And if you engage, there's a chance that if you engage with your ancestors who are not so well, they may put their addictions, their fears, their trauma, their pain on you because you have a physical vessel that those needs can be met or expressed through. So it can be dangerous to just call on your ancestors without making the clarification of calling on your well ancestors. So that said, this ancestral healing practice that I just became a practitioner of, we heal all of the ancestors. And what that means is like in the first session, you I would sort of lead you through a light trance state, which means just like getting in a deep meditative state. And we would set up precautions and barriers and call in spiritual allies and then set it up for you to blind, like so for you to check in on your four lines, your, your four grandparents' lines. And you don't need to know these grandparents. You can be adopted and not even know who they are. It doesn't matter. We can check them out and then get a sense of how healthy they are and then we would begin to work with the most healthy line and we would journey to meet a guide who's on the most on the, on the healthiest line and begin the process of healing that line and the idea is to heal the most healthy line first because it'll be easier and then you have the support of that line as you start approaching the next least healthy line and then we heal the sickest line so to speak, last, because then you have the support of three really well-healed lines in place. And this process can take anywhere from four or five sessions, or it, so for some people it takes years because there's a lot of pain and trauma and you just got to do it slowly and let things sit and percolate and rest and then come back a few months later and, and go and do another session. Wow, there's, that's, Wow, there's so much I want to <laughs> unpack in what you said. I just, I just love it. So, you know, the first thing that I just want to say is in my work as a clairvoyant, I, I see a lot of this pain and trauma being passed on. You know, mm -hmm. one of the things that I look at, you know, in people's spaces is like, wow, you're carrying this thing that isn't yours, but at some mm -hmm. point got passed on to you. So sure. um, this is, I can, I just love that you know you explained the the, the spiritual um, kind of mechanics of this work because um, you know I had never heard about the way that this works but I can totally validate that I see that in people's spaces yes absolutely and um, you know and and I think that hasn't hasn't there been you know some epigenetic science that talks about you know us carrying the trauma of our ancestors in our cells yes. in our blood Absolutely. And when we heal these lines, we take a moment or a few, several moments, we slow it really down. And, and at, like I would, if I was doing this for you, I would ask you, okay, we've healed your line. Now really sit and I'm getting tingles thinking about it. Sit and feel your body update at the cellular level yes. and you can feel it. And then, 
And then not only are we just healing pain and trauma, but now, I mean, there are blessings and there are superpowers associated with each of your lineages. And now those blessings and superpowers can come right down the line at you without getting stopped, without getting mixed up, without getting muddled. And what I really like about this method too, is once you take in all of that healing and all of those blessings, you then turn back and give it back to your all of your living family members, all of your future descendants, and even to the ancestors. So it doesn't just stop at you. It really radiates out and benefits anyone who's related to you by blood, <laughs> which can quickly become a lot of people. Absolutely. Yeah, mm -hmm. you know, it's funny. I, I can't, I'm not going to remember where it was I was listening to, although I think it was on the um, Medicine Stories podcast, and they were talking about, um, you know, how we see time, they were talking about ancestors and how we've learned to see time so linearly, and something they were talking about within healing was kind of this um, circular idea of time, or this idea that kind of everything's happening at once, so as we heal this, it's just mm -hmm. like perpetuating itself, uh, I'll say quote forward or, you know, whatever. Right. Um, and I just love kind of, you know, my mind, it has a hard time wrapping itself around that, but I love applying the concept here and there when I can um, kind of uh, put it in. Um, so let's talk a little bit more about these like superpowers um, and, and, and what, the, what it does for us uh, to connect to our ancestors and our ancestral roots, both, you know, spiritually, you know, how is that important? What does it do personally? And then I'd love for us to go a little bit broader as well and talk culturally. Yeah, so, yeah, I'm trying to process all the blessings I have received since beginning this work for myself on my own line. Um, things have begun to make sense about why I am the way I am. And that's another great thing about this process. I'm, I'm just going to go out on a limb here and say like 100% of your podcast listeners probably feel a little bit different than their families <laughs> or their most, most of the people, like they've always felt like a little bit like the odd one in uh -huh. groups and situations. It's totally been my experience. And so when you start tapping into your well ancestors, you start seeing how this thing that makes you feel different is actually a superpower and it's you can see it like lighting up down the line or however it comes to you in in your using your your other senses for me I, I see a long string like a bracelet of my ancestors whichever line I'm looking in and I can see little things lighting up down the line um, for example one of the cohorts in the practitioner training she identifies as a as a queer cisgendered woman and she realized through one of her male lineages that, that like that's a thing they're queer and every you know there's a lot of queer ancestors and for a lot of them there's been a lot of pain and shame because of the times they lived in and they weren't accepted and and part of her blessing is that she's accepted and she can be out and proud and express mm -hmm. herself mm -hmm. and knowing that she can do that as the face of her well ancestors is super empowering like it makes me tear up just thinking about it <laughs> mm -hmm. so those sorts of things and then wonderful serendipities start happening when you've got all of these these clear connections going on 
in, behind the veil. Things come to you faster, solutions come to you faster, help comes to you faster, ideas come to you faster. It's, it's really awesome for, I mean, that's the proper use of the word awesome in the proper use yes. of the word awesome. Yes, awe-inspiring. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. You know, something that has just been a really big theme in my work um, with clients for a long time, but particularly recently, I don't know, you know, it's, you know, I'm sure you feel it. We're kind of in this big, you know, wave change, um, I think, spiritually, culturally, and everything. And a, a big pattern I've noticed is even in my, my really, like, really well-connected, you know, clients and students, it's this feeling of being alone, you know, still this feeling of being alone. And part of what I'm starting to, to notice is like, yeah, because we're not connected to the past. You know, we are calling on spiritual resources, but, but they're still somehow unrooted. You know, they we're are. calling on them without the bloodline. Um, and so that's, you know, I, I think it's, this work is like one of these missing pieces within um, like the, I guess you could call it like the new age spiritual community, right? It's, it's like actually getting rooted. Yeah. And what, well, and it's really easy to want to go back and then project things onto your, whatever it is you're going back to because you don't know. And but being able to know how to connect to your ancestors and your well ancestors, again, in a really deep way, there's no need to project. They'll tell you exactly what it was like and then and what it's like now and, you know, how it applies to your life. There's, mm -hmm. there's no need to, to, to project and guess. Mm -hmm. You know, another thing that, that just makes me think about, um, something I've been hearing a lot is, you know, fear around remembering, you know, mm -hmm. having a fear, like knowing that my, you know, well, I believe that the, all the ancestry that I can find as far back as I was able to go, I know are white. So at some point there was a, probably some really nasty behavior, um, going on. And, um, I know that this has just come up in circles that I've been in, but is this fear around remembering. Can you speak to mm -hmm. that a bit? Sure. I think, I think it's normal to be, to be afraid to remember those things or even to like, or even just a second take on the shame and fear that an ancestor might have from what they did. However, there's a more, there's a greater, release when that thing is healed and forgiven and when your ancestors can ask you can you do this for me to help counterbalance the poor action the poor decisions i made um reparation that reparation can happen which can be really powerful for both whoever is on both sides of the conflict but then the sort of the second tier of this healing once you've healed all of your lines, then there's the second tier that we can get into, which is doing the deeper cultural work and healing racism, bigotry, sexual violence. We can heal those things in your lines, but only after everyone's well, right? Mm -hmm. And that's a whole other level of, of deep healing. And then it, it also lifts up the collective because I believe one of the reasons why the U.S. is having troubles with gun laws and still with pol like police brutality against non-white people is because that is literally in the collective consciousness. That was 
okay to do when the U.S. was formed as a country. Um, a white man could correct a black man unto death if that's what it took, and it would be the black man's fault for needing correcting and not the white man's fault. So yeah, you get police, white police officers killing black men. Like it's in the collective consciousness. But what this work and probably some other work too, but I don't wanna say this is the only way, but what this work can do is start getting that crap out of the collective consciousness so we can approach problems in a new way. Yeah, so that we can actually, you know, look at the structure that was created for our country um, yes. under these influences of trauma and collective unconsciousness and change that structure. I was just in a, um, uh, in a course and something that, that is often said, it's like, well, the system is falling apart. And it's like, no, the system is operating exactly the way that it was intended yes. and created. And what, you know, part of how I see, like you just said, this work helping the influences whoa, wait, we might want to just actually create a new system. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you gave us a bit of an example about what this process looks like um, in terms of the spiritual work. And it, it, so it sounds like a lot of it is through journeying. Um, and I'm curious if there, because um, I've recently been digging into like ancestry.com and trying to understand, you know, where I come from. So is that piece important for this healing or is it kind of just like an addition to this healing? It can be both. And I do want to clarify that when I say journeying this, it's not exactly like a typical spiritual journey. You're not leaving your body is what I want to say. I just don't really know how else to describe it. Um, yeah, you're going to, you stay in your body and this all happens in your body because your ancestors are all in your body but you are going into a deep meditative state and kind of, you know, reaching deeper with your mind. Um, so in case anyone out there needs that different, that <laughs> splitting hairs, I just want to split those hairs for you. And as for ancestry.com, no, it's not important. You don't, you don't need to know anything about it. However, and I, I wasn't that interested in digging deeper than what I already knew. But as I went about healing my lines, I started wanting to get to know them better. And I'm, so I just got back yesterday morning from finishing my training. And one of the first things on my agenda now that I'm back and done with that is to start digging into Ancestry.com. Because, well, for one reason, I don't know my mother's father's line at all. Um, which is probably another reason why I'm so tied to my mother's mother's line, because that's the only line I know, and I'm a woman, so I'm just kind of more drawn to my mother's line. Um, because of racism, my grandfather was white, my grandmother was brown, and they weren't allowed to get married because it was illegal. But then he also had a white wife that he was estranged from, but he wasn't allowed to get a divorce. Um, and then when he died, you know, the families didn't have, they. He, my mom and my grandmother and my mom's siblings were kind of like the black mark on that family. The, mm. We're probably in their, in their closet as the skeletons. <laughs> so, at least back then, at least back then, you know, in the early 1960s. Um, so I don't know anything about that line. And it was the last line I healed because of my own fear around it. And then it turns out that that's the line, like spiritually on a soul level that I'm most associated with. 
Um, the guy told, I might be my, my grandfather reincarnated. I got that sense. I couldn't get a clear answer when I asked more specifically. <laughs> but the guide on that line did tell me that I have been part of that line for a long time. And I have reincarnated along that line many times. And that just blew my mind. And I, I know nothing about this line. However, that said, like I said, now that that line is all well and healed, I'm starting to feel interested in learning a little bit more about them. That's awesome. You know, one of the, the spiritual questions that I'm curious about, this is just like me kind of picking your, your brain a little bit, but I'm curious what, because as a, you know, as a clairvoyant, I see reincarnation all the time. But one thing that is sometimes not, that's often not clear to me, because when I get past life information, um, it, it usually comes in just because it's, um, like, like informing something that's going on now. And so I don't necessarily, I can't always tell if people, if we're reincarnating within the same ancestry line or if those lines are different. And I don't know if you know, or if you just have a personal opinion about it, but I just kind of want to geek out here a little bit. <laughs> yeah, any chance to geek out about the ancestors. So, right? Yeah. Um, I, I don't know definitively. I would say that we probably have more freedom in our incarnation choices than just one line. Mm -hmm. However, I can see how on a soul level, it makes sense that you might be attached to a couple of specific lineages because you've just been so invested in them and wanting to reincarnate on those lines and keep working within that family, one in the family systems, but then to also like advance the family cause to bring the family's blessings into the world. I can see how you can probably get attached to, to that. Yeah, that's, that totally makes sense. And that's, that's kind of my suspicion as well. Of course, I don't know that any of us know definitively. Um, but that's kind of what I've seen in some people when I see that it's very clear that we're talking about blood ancestors. But sometimes it's like I'm talking about like their soul's lineage, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. It's like, oh, wait a minute. There's all these agreements that come from there too. Um, mm -hmm. Anywho, I just love talking about that. Um, awesome. So, so yeah, so on your website, you talk about um, how this ancestral connection can help us gain both spiritual resources, which we kind of talked about here, but also spiritual responsibilities. I would love to talk about spiritual responsibility. Mm -hmm. Can you dive into that? Yes. Well, I think it's very true that the more resources you have, the more responsibilities you have. The more power you have, the more responsibilities you have. So while being well with all of your ancestors and making sure there's no, no more ghosts in your family is very powerful. It's very freeing in a sense in this inner peaceful sense and it's very exhilarating and it's very humbling at the same time and like I said it does bring out blessings and and superpowers so to speak which yeah you can't just keep them for yourself you have to share the love um so that again would go back to like the reparations that we mentioned briefly making reparations for the things that your ancestors have done um whether that's for example, one friend from the cohort, her family behaved horribly towards indigenous families. And so they, her ancestors really want her to make donations to um, specific tribes that they wronged, like 
make financial donations to help advance their causes and do it in the, in the name of her ancestors as a, we're really sorry and this doesn't begin to make amends, but I'm going to begin to make amends sort of thing. So that's an example of, of responsibility. And I think that, I think there's a lot of earth and social justice tied into ancestral work and, and that that is really a good place to begin when it comes to making spiritual blessings and turning in them into spiritual responsibilities, like treating the earth properly, making amends for the way our ancestors might have just taken what they needed from the earth without giving back or without thinking about the future generations. All of those things become something that, and it won't even be like you being like, oh, what should I do? I really hope I get this right and hit the nail on the head with in terms of how I use my responsibilities now. Like, no, there'll be no question. Your ancestors will let you know and you'll know exactly what sort of responsibilities you need to take on. And it, and and I wanna point out that there are, there's room to negotiate. Again, just because your ancestors are dead and now they're all healed and well because you've healed them all, doesn't mean you have to listen to everything they say. You can negotiate and say, well, that's really sort of out of my capabilities or that's out of my comfort zone. Let's negotiate and I wanna do this instead. Like, don't forget that you have sovereignty over your own life. However, taking some sort of action, responsibility, or reparation will do a lot for you, for your ancestors, and for the world. But again, do what you can, and that might not be what your ancestors think you can do. <laughs> That's awesome. So I'm curious then how your life has shifted since you've you know, been doing this work, you know, what, you know, if there are spiritual responsibilities that you're taking on, or if there's, you know, new ritual in your life, or, you know, what have connecting with your ancestors done for, for you? Well, it's helped me feel a lot more rooted here in Costa Rica. Mm -hmm. um, for a while, I felt a lot of grief. Um, I was very clearly and plainly called to Costa Rica. I fell in love with a Costa Rican and we're raising our kids down here. So, and I, st I may still be called back home in some way and I trust that I will be. However, there was this unexpected detour to Costa Rica that felt just as important and just as right. And like I said, I felt grief around that. And I feel so far away from home. Like I, for the first time, I'm feeling what my, the rest of my ancestors, my non-Indigenous ancestors have probably felt for several hundred years when they left Europe to come here. And so I, I got a little more sympathy about that because even though I came by choice, there were, there's grief and there's pain. And even though I can just hop on a plane and go home, <laughs> it's not like a three month boat ride across the ocean. <laughs> right. Um, so yes, yeah, so working with my ancestors has brought me more of a sense of place here in Costa Rica, but then I feel like the work I'm supposed to do here in Costa Rica is picking up faster. And what I mean by that is it's become very clear to me my next step in my spiritual evolution, the next mentor I need to work with, the next skills I need to gain, which means working with the earth and working with the land. So for whatever reason, I am going to, I am charged with learning to work with the land spirits here in Costa Rica, and then 
again, I'm kind of hoping I'll take that knowledge and take it up home <laughs> to my indigenous people. I don't know. I can't, like, that's not, I can't hinge taking that knowledge home on, on doing the knowledge, right? Like, I can't marry the two. Like, I'm just following the next step. It's very clear. And then some of the things that just for, like, fun story gossip that have happened around working with my ancestors and knowing that now working with the ancestors of place and the ancestors of land is the next step is because I have started to get visited by fairies. Yay! I <laughs> and, love fairies. Yeah, I'm a huge fairy person. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm not. Like, I, I, for a while, you know, when I was a young girl, yes, fairies were real to me. And then at some point, just like Santa Claus and the Easter Bunny, they weren't real to me anymore. And then at another point, I conceded that, yeah, fairies probably do exist, but I don't think there's something that we humans can actually interact with. So it was just like this, you know, thing that probably exists. But again, I'm never going to have contact with it. But oh my gosh, no, I live in the forest and they're coming to me and I can see them with my eyes, like not just my mind's eye, like with my physical eyes. And it's, it's, it's amazing and since I started working with my ancestors it's happened more and more um so I'll, I'll just share a fun story um a year and a half ago I was downstairs here in my office and my my husband wasn't home that night and my kids were upstairs sleeping and I heard my then three-year-old laughing and laughing in his sleep like hysterically and I thought oh that's cute and then I heard his bedroom door open and I heard little footsteps over the landing upstairs. And so I got up to go see what he needed so he wouldn't have to start crying for me and then wake up his one and a half year old brother and then I would be, <laughs> the night would be over for me. So I went up to see what he needed and there was nobody there. And I went to his room and he was sound asleep in bed. It was obvious he had, that he hadn't just gotten out of bed and gotten back in bed. Plus I didn't hear footsteps going back to his bed. And the landing has a sliding glass door that leads out to a balcony and that balcony leads out to the forest. And I just, I didn't feel scared. I didn't feel like a strange supernatural experience had happened, but I just knew it was fairy. Like, yeah, I just knew. But then I set boundaries and I said, listen, my kids are off limits. Um, it's my job to protect them from being afraid of the dark. And I have to say, I have a three-year-old and a five-year-old and neither one of them is afraid of the dark still. Um, my house is off limits. I don't want to be having supernatural things coming in. Plus I've heard horror stories about fairies actually like fairy tales. They steal babies in the fairy tales and I'm not going to take that lightly. <laughs> mm -hmm. So I set boundaries and I've had a couple of other experiences where I've woken up in the middle of the night because I felt someone watching me and I've looked out the window and seen a little glowing light hovering outside the window watching me. And it's like a strange unearthly glow, mm -hmm. but it's not scary. It, and I just, I just know it's a fairy and I always say, thank you for respecting my boundaries and go back to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> I love it. I have a lot of fairy stories that we could uh, go back and forth with. Um, yeah. I don't want to share a ton here, but they, they've talked to me for a really long time. Actually, in the last podcast, um, I talked about how I go out in the garden when I was really little and sit with them. And, mm. um, and then it, you know, turned out that that was apparently really weird. To talk to <laughs> so it, I, I didn't, um, they didn't come to me again until probably when I was in 
college and then they got really loud and we started having conversations and in fact i i eventually submitted some of my fairy stories to um doreen virtue and she wrote her second book about fairies i was just like here you go i got all the fairy stories so wow uh, there's a story published there but anywho i yeah i love the nature spirits um so i want to start there's i just feel like we could talk for hours but i would love to um start to wrap some of this up but i want to draw listeners you have some really incredible offerings on your website you have a course about um using dreams to connect with your ancestors you have an ebook called the blueprint cycles um which is about how the mind body emotions and soul coincide with female cycles seasons lunar phases circadian rhythms and as an Ayurvedic practitioner, I just like this really spoke to me. So can you talk a little bit more about that and then any other um, of your offerings that you would love to share? Yes. So the blueprint cycles, the, that's been one of my most popular courses too. But what that is, is just sort of taking everything I've learned over the last decade plus of walking this spiritual journey and then also trying to figure out my own body as a woman and how they all overlap and and a lot of that also comes to learning how to trust your body and trust your intuition and when you trust your body your body will trust you and so what this does is just kind of give you the groundwork so you can see that yes you can trust your body and then that opens up all sorts of other doors for experiencing yourself in your body, for receiving divine information in your body. I'm really big on receiving divine guidance and divine into like divine messages through intuition and through serendipities and things. So that and the dream course are all about opening yourself up to, up to these different ways of experiencing the divine in your body and trusting it. And so the blueprint cycles talks about how really it's this blueprint for life to experience ourselves in mind, body, emotion, and soul all at once. But we tend to just experience ourselves maybe in the mind, maybe in our bodies a little bit, but it's all sort of disconnected and we're never in our mind and in our body at the same time. Well, I don't want to say never, but I think you know what I mean. I do. <laughs> it's common to not be. So when you see how this all works and how it overlaps with the four phases of the menstrual cycle and the four phases of the moon and the four phases of the seasons and, the, and even the circadian rhythm and the wheel of the zodiac, and there's all these patterns that all of this overlaps in and you can just you can go as deep as you want in it in the course i just go as deep as um as your menstrual cycle the lunar cycle and this is for women who don't menstruate or people who identify as women and don't menstruate and this is for women who don't menstruate because they're on birth control too it's just helping you key into the patterns and learn how to work with them and express yourself in a satisfying way in them for example the premenstrual cycle of my menstrual cycle is now my favorite cycle. And I used to have like knock me to my knees, painful cramps. And one, I don't have those cramps anymore because I've learned what those cramps were trying to tell me. And then two, that phase of your cycle is your most 
intuitively powerful phase and whatever you experience during that premenstrual phase or during the waning moon if you're going by the moon is that's like I get cranky that's my that's my PMS symptom these days is irritability whatever it is I'm irritable about that's that's the universe telling me that this thing's not working for you and this thing has to change and then I have my whole, that's my PMS cycle. And then I have my menstrual phase. And then my menstrual phase is a time, that's when your inner reflection is really turned on. So then I have that whole four or five days to really get deep and rest and sit with it and reflect on this thing that was brought to my attention. And then my follicular phase, which is the phase right after your menstrual cycle, and that is related to spring which is a time of new beginnings and new life, that then becomes the phase where I start taking action on the thing that was brought up in the premenstrual phase. And what I also really like about this model is it's not like instant take action. Like this thing's making me, pissing me off, so I'm gonna take this action. Like there's time to sit and reflect and think about it before taking action, which I think is also something we don't do much in modern world because we're all about, instant gratification and doing things now. Totally. And it's something that I'm telling my highly sensitive folks all the time is we need more time to process things. That's just the way Mm -hmm. our nervous systems work. It's the way that our memory works. Like physiologically, we need more time. You know, I just, I just love the idea of this course because um, something that I see a lot in highly sensitive people is, is just feeling like they're swept up in, in chaos. And I think that particularly for highly sensitive women, you know, with all the, the hormones that we have too, being able to put a rhythm to this, being able to understand the cycle can be so empowering. Yes, I just it is. Yeah, because we expect we're told by the outside world from the time we're little that we need to be the same day after day. And when we do experience peaks in our emotions, we're crazy bitches or we're lunatics and lunatics come from the same word as the Latin word for Luna moon Luna. So a lunatic is someone who's like overcome by the moon and we all know the moon rules women and they rule it rules the menstrual cycle. So it's like an insult in that, in that case. Um, so but it's men, men are steady and they follow the circadian rhythm more and they are the same day after day. And they've got their little peaks and rhythms throughout that day. And the 40 hour work week is designed around the circadian rhythm. And I talk about this in the course, like going to getting up going to work having a lunch break having an afternoon break going home vegging out that is the season of the year all in one day spring summer autumn winter is coming home spring is going to work summer is is talking and feasting at lunch and then autumn is beginning to wind down get your things done for the day and then winter is going home and vegging that's a, a seat that's the year in a day so to speak and that's how men work and they're they can be pretty steady not all of them but you know in general they can be pretty steady day after day whereas we women instead of being the same for a few hours and then changing for a few hours we're in a cycle for like seven to ten twelve days at a time instead of three or four hours at a time 
That is so validating to me. That is like the most <laughs> validating thing I have heard all week because I yeah. so resonate with that where I will get yes. in like this creative peak and I'll create, create, create. And then it's like, I don't want to do nothing. I want to lay on the couch and I kind of have to, you know, it's like my energy is just not that. Okay. And then instead of beating yourself up and saying, what's wrong with me? Why can't I see a project through? Why am I getting all boohoo about this now? You can say, oh no, this is just a rhythm in the cycle. And if I just tend to my immediate needs and rest and take a break, I know that the inspiration and motivation will come back in a few days and, and probably have, better. Yeah. And if we have this information, you know, and if we have the flexibility within, you know, whatever our job is, we can plan sure. around this, especially those of us who are sensitive creatives and kind of, you know, creating our work or, you know, our own work in the world, this could, I'd imagine, empower us to, to actually be able to plan a little better. Exactly. Yeah. Especially wow. for those of us who, who can. And then I know there's also, I can't think of the resources right offhand, but I could get them for you for the notes later if that's mm-hmm. something you're interested in. But I know that there's this movement in corporate America by women to get more flexibility in the in the regular work week for women. And this applies there too. Like mm-hmm. just bec- like this this could be how we do corporate America in twenty years. Yeah. These these female rhythms. Yeah. Absolutely. Wow. Well, Darla, I have just so thoroughly enjoyed our conversation today. And, you know, like I said, I feel like we could talk for, for hours and hours. Um, so I always like to finish by asking my interviewees, what's the one thing that you would like our listeners to know? I would like you to know that you are not alone. Whatever it is you are struggling with, trying to heal from, trying to learn, try, however you're trying to express yourself, you're not alone. And, and you're not alone in the sense that there are people like you out there, but your ancestors are with you. They really are. And those same things you're struggling with are probably things that they struggled with. Um, and there's wisdom and healing and resources to be found in your ancestors. I I resonate so much with that. I mean, I was feeling that in every cell. So thank you so much for being here with us today, Darla. Thank you. Thank you so much. I enjoyed it so much. All right. Take care. Thank you. For information on everything shared here, including show notes and links, visit www.sensitivityuncensored.com forward slash soul of sensitivity.